Jen's good being here with you guys. How are you guys doing this weekend? I'm sorry I couldn't join you guys last night. I wanted to. I heard my good friend Ethan Schimler was here, though. Did he do pretty, do pretty well? He's smarter than me, so don't let that be the bar for today, okay? Um, but uh, I, I was laughing on our right end. I'm from Portsmouth, Ohio, originally. Has anyone heard of Portsmouth before? It's like kind of the middle of nowhere. Uh, it's like a little, little small town, yeah? And so uh, I now live in Westerville, Ohio, with my wife, who's giving the talk to the women right now. And um, it's uh, also Alex's sister, Nina, and she's amazing. And we were actually driving through Mount Sterling, which is like the town outside of here. And as we were driving through, I was trying to convince her to move here the whole time. I was like, look, there's a coffee shop there. Like, over, there's a chiropractor. What town that's not legitimate has a chiropractor? I don't know. And uh, I just enjoy like the small town. She's been uh, living in suburbs her entire life. And so there's always this little bit of a difference. And I, I want to kind of start there today because I think a lot of times we get into a place like this and we begin to think how we're different than everyone around us instead of getting on the same page of how we're all the same. So real quick, I want to ask just a, a simple question up front. Raise your hand if you want to do something great with your lives. Raise your hand. Raise them high so I can actually see it. I know we just had lunch, but let's get over it. Nice. Go ahead and put your hands down. Um, now, uh, go ahead and raise your hand if you feel like you can do something great with your life by doing what everybody else is doing. None of us. None of us. That's interesting. Let's try this again. Raise your hand if you've ever had something that someone has done to you in your life that was negative. Raise your hand high. I know we just got out of lunch. Go ahead and keep your hand raised if you've ever struggled with something in your life. Go ahead and put your hands down. Like the very first thing I want to start out with, like I, I do this at almost all of my talks, whether it's middle school or college or young adult. I've spoken at a couple of men's conferences. We all want to do something great with our lives. We all know that we can't do something great with our lives by doing what everybody else is doing, but somehow we just so happen to end up doing what everybody else is doing. We actually begin living a life that's contrary to the goal that we're setting. We've all had something done to us that wasn't good. We've all struggled with something. Welcome to the team. We're all on the same team. That's where we have to start today. If you're sitting in this seat thinking that you're like past this content in comparison to the brother next to you, if you think you're farther behind than the person next to you, you're sadly mistaken. If you think you're farther behind than I am as I'm giving this message, you're sadly mistaken. We're all on the same team. We all have the human condition. And the human condition is this. We all want to do something great. We do things that are contrary to that pursuit of greatness. We've all had external forces that inhibit us from getting to greatness. We've all had internal forces that fight us getting to greatness. That's the human condition. That's what we're all in. That's what we all brought to Deer Creek Lodge today. That's what everybody sitting up here, the ladies that are sitting down there, everybody that might be hearing this over the rafters, that's the, that's the condition that we all find ourselves in is the human condition. And so often I think we um, begin making excuses for ourselves because we say, actually, I'm not going to compare myself to the guy next to me because I'm different. What happens in life so often is we've made comparison about competing and not completing. I want to compare myself to you every day. Why? Because there's aspects that you're living out in life that are better than those aspects in my life. And I want to compare myself to you so I can be the complete version of Brad. I'm not here to compete with you. I'm here to complete myself and to complete you. Can we, can we track with that? You guys, can I get some head nods if you're picking up what I'm putting down? That we want to compare ourselves to one another so that we can be completed, not so that we can compete. And I think so often the world's twisted that, and we'll get into the world and the flesh here in a minute, but it's twisted that in such a way where we can't even get on the same page to start out a talk. Guys, I'm not here for this to be a 45-minute session where you think I'm cool. I'm here and I pray to God that these 45 minutes change your life forever. 
Because the last moment that heaven can start in your life is right now, okay? The world's going away from the kingdom of God fast and we're running towards it. And we need to bring the kingdom of God here and now to this place, to every place that we walk in, amen? Amen. So we're all in the human condition. Um, this is a teaching today, not a preaching. So I need to stay to my outline, which means I'm going to read a lot more than I normally do. For those of you who have ever heard me before, um, I hope it's as entertaining as uh, my random storytelling. Um, that being said, uh, again, we all experience the human condition. So the, the talk today, I want to go ahead and give a disclaimer. This talk today is for fighters. Okay, this talk today is for those of you who are sitting in this room who want something worth laying your life down for. If that's not something you want, you can go eat a second lunch. Okay, but if you're in with me on that, then let's hang in here. Let's be fighters. Let's find something worth fighting for. Let's find something worth laying our lives down for. Let's find something worth dying for. That's what today's about. Today's about victory. Raise your hand if you want victory in your life. Are you guys with me here? We want victory. Today's about victory. But here's the issue with victory. And so often we get caught up in looking at the victory ahead and we don't prepare and execute in the now. Preparation and execution equal victory. That is how we get to the win, guys. And like, um, I, I don't know, I'm really into sports, so I'll use some sports analogies. One of my favorite coaches of all time is Bobby Knight. Bobby Knight coached the Indiana Hoosiers. He's the second most winningest coach of all time, only behind his protege, Coach Krzyzewski at Duke. And if you don't know anything about basketball, you won't need to because this quote speaks past basketball. He says that everyone has the desire to win, but not everyone has the desire to prepare to win. Today's about preparation. The content that's contained in this talk is about preparing you to get to the victory that we're all destined for. I'm so nervous that in our church we've made heaven boring, which makes the win not worth it. Heaven's not boring. It's the most complete you'll ever be. It's the most joyful you'll ever be. It's the most you you'll ever be. That's heaven. That's the goal. That's the win. But we have to prepare. And uh, I've been fortunate enough in my life, especially over the last few years, to hang out with a lot of people who have been very successful in their lives. In my time at Ohio State, I worked for the recruiting department under Urban Meyer, one of the most successful football coaches of all time, right? One of the greatest leaders of men I've ever met. Also one of the most intense guys you'll ever lay eyes on. Like on game day, you don't talk to Urban. Um, and uh, he actually bought Nina and I's spare room sheets. So if you ever come and stay at Nina in my apartment, you're sleeping on Urban Meyer sheets. But uh, uh, so uh, I worked for the recruiting department under Urban Meyer. I, uh, I've been fortunate enough to meet with amazing men of God across the country that have brought millions of people to the faith, like Bill Johnson from Bethel Church. I've been able to sit down with millionaires and billionaires as we build out what the Lord has for Damascus. And there's, there's one thing, at least, that all of them have in common. There's probably more than that, but I don't know if I'm smart enough to pick up on all the other ones. The one thing they have in common is they all prepare. They're never taken by surprise. They know the tale of the tape. They've watched the film. Raise your hand if you've played sports in some way, shape, or form. Go ahead and put your hands down just to get a feel out because we, we know what it's like to watch the tape, right? Like when I watch the film, something happens. One of my favorite athletes is LeBron James. Who likes LeBron James? Who hates LeBron James? Nice. That's what I'm talking about. I needed a couple haters in the crowd because he is the greatest of all time. We'll talk statistics later if you want to. Uh, Michael Jordan could hit a fadeaway, but no one can stop LeBron at the rim. Anyway, we'll go, uh, we'll go away from that. LeBron James is the greatest athlete in my mind of all time. He's also my favorite athlete. And uh, he has certain opinions that I don't agree with. But when it comes to playing basketball, there's no one better. And so when I, when I think about LeBron, I was, I was watching just a couple of videos about LeBron on the court because LeBron prepares. 
You can say what you want about LeBron. The man is a freak show when it comes to preparation. And uh, there was a guy, I don't know if you guys know who Matt Barnes is, but Matt Barnes is an amazing defender. He used to defend Kobe Bryant. You've probably seen the part where he like fakes the ball inbounds to see if Kobe will flinch and Kobe just stands there because Kobe's a baller too. But um, so Matt Barnes was being interviewed and they're like, what makes LeBron great on the court? And he goes, I don't even know how to say it, man. And then he gives this story. When Matt Barnes was playing against LeBron, one of his younger teammates was on the floor. There was an inbounds play that they were about to run, and the coach calls it in. The young player doesn't remember the play and looks to the coach so as to tell him, like, hey, I don't remember the play. LeBron is guarding this younger player. And the younger player is looking at the coach like he doesn't know the play. LeBron picks up on his uncertainty, looks at the guy, and tells him where he should be for the play. LeBron James knew the other team's play better than the other team did. Because he was prepared. And isn't that the goal in life? That we would be more prepared than the enemy. That we'd be more prepared to defend than the person who is on the offensive against us. We'll also talk about how the world and the flesh are much more on the defensive than the offensive. But there's certainly attacks that they try to make. Preparation. Do you have the will to prepare? You know, more than a basketball game, more than a football season, more than a business venture, we're in a war, and you know that. And that's not a metaphor. It's not like, well, it'd be really cool to think we're masculine by thinking we're in a war. Like, we're literally in a war. People are dying, and we're the foot soldiers that God's chosen. I don't know why. I suck just as much as you. He would do better without us. He would do much better without us. But for some reason, he wants us so much that it looks like need. Have you ever loved something that much? I don't think I have. To where I wouldn't need it, but I wanted it so much it looked like need. I hope I can love Nina like that in my life. I hope I can love my brothers in my life like that. That's how God loves us. He doesn't need us. We hinder him, but he wants to complete us. It's his good pleasure to allow us to fight the fight. It's a real war. It's not just fun language. It's not like, let's go watch Band of Brothers and talk about how that's kind of like what we're doing so we feel good about ourselves. It's like, no, you're fighting. You're fighting. You're fighting for your own soul. You're fighting for the souls of the men in this room. You're fighting for the souls of the church. You're fighting for the souls in the world. That's, I mean, that, that's, that's the game. But here's the lay of the land, right? We're in a war between good and evil, and it's not a metaphor. All of us have given our lives to the Lord, yes or yes? Yep. That's good. That's the good part of the fight. But here's the thing, we all struggle with all the different things, right? We, we struggle with sexual sin. We struggle with the temptation to lie. We struggle with emotions, anxiety, depression. We struggle with a lot of different things. We struggle with mental difficulties, soulful difficulties, bodily difficulties. We're in a struggle. That's bad. That's not good. How do you constitute something as bad? If it doesn't look like heaven, then it's bad. Because we were made to live in heaven forever, right? We fell. And that's what we're talking about today. So that, that's the bad. Now, he, here's, the, here's the other part of the news, though. The upside is that we've won the war. Now, follow me in this analogy, okay? We've won the war, but your battle has not been finished yet. We've won the war, so we already know that the war is going to be in our favor. But the question is, will you win your battle? We know the war. We, we, we know the ultimate. But will you win your battle? The battle of Brad Piron, the battle of Alex Zizinski, the, the battle of John Packer Stevenson, the battle of Alex Shan, the battle of Zachary Ratliff, the battle of Mitchell Wilson, the battle of John Michael Pose, those are battles that have not yet been won. So we stay in that so that we can have our name written on the victory of the war, that that battle was handled by me and we were victorious. And that's where we're at, guys. We're in a battle. We're, we're, like Today's talk is, is about 
problems and it's about solutions. It's about problems and solutions. There's two problems. One's exterior, one's interior. The problems first, the world, the exterior. The second is the flesh, the interior. And there's only one solution, and it comes in two parts. The only solution is Jesus Christ. The only solution is Jesus Christ. First through community, and second through the gift of the Holy Spirit. There's one solution, and his name's Jesus. And he is the solution to all the world's problems. The biggest issue in our world today is not abortion. It's not euthanasia. It's not hunger. It's not poverty. It's not the breakdown of the family. The biggest issue in our world today is indifference. That the good news isn't the good news anymore. It's just okay news. It's news I've already heard before. And I'd rather get on with my video games or partying or I'd rather hook up with that girl. That's the issue. Indifference. There's only one solution to that indifference. Radical love of Jesus Christ. That's the answer. And it comes in two parts. We're in a battle. There's good and bad. We've won the war. You haven't won your battle. I haven't won my battle. The saints who are in victory, you've heard the church triumphant before, right? They won their battles. That's why they're triumphant. You're not going to fall, my friend. So that's where we're going. Through Christ, you can have a greater handle on the problems in your life, okay? You can be free from the things that are holding you back. You can experience victory over them. Look through the scriptures. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, but if it's not Christ who strengthens you, you're going to be too weak to win anything. When the scripture says that we can do nothing apart from Christ, it doesn't mean you can do a couple cool things. It means you can do nothing apart from Christ. I looked it up in the Greek. It's still nothing. Not even one thing. Okay? Whether you recognize that it's him working or not is a whole different thing. But you can't do a single thing without him. Your problems will always be problems without the one who's the problem solver. As we grow in the life of Christ of the spirit, we grow in freedom, we experience more peace, and we become happier. Happier is the byproduct. I don't really care day-to-day if I'm happy. I care day-to-day if I'm fulfilled. I care day-to-day if I'm in the fight. Happiness is fleeting. Victory in the battle, it's not. So the first thing I want to do is I want to talk about the first problem. It's, 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 the, it's the exterior problem. It's the world, okay? Scripture defines the world in two ways. This is going to be important for you to know because a lot of time you're like, well, we're supposed to love the world, right? Like, yeah, that's not just for hippies. That is for us, and we are supposed to love the world. But the, the Scriptures define the world in two ways. The first, it defines the world as creation, okay? So go ahead and write that down. If you're not writing it down, take a mental note. I'm an auditory learner too, so you don't have to feel like you have to take notes. But the first is creation, the world as creation. You hear that in the beginning, that he creates the heavens and the earth, right, God? And then on the sixth day, he creates man, and it was very good. He created the world good. He created the world with man as very good. What was the difference between good and very good? You and me. I don't know how that works, but it's true. And so that's the first way that the scriptures talk about the world, and that's the world that God loves. For God so loved the world that he gave. Isn't that funny? He so loved the world that he gave. So often we're like, we so love the world that we should receive. Well, God so loved the world that he gave, his only son, that those who believe in him would not perish but would have eternal life. He loves the world. He loves his creation. God doesn't make mistakes, ever. I'm a bad cook, and I make bad creations. God's a perfect creator. Take a guess at what kind of creations he makes. Perfect. He doesn't make mistakes. He loves what he's made. But there's a difference in how the world was made to be and how it is currently. And that's how the scripture defines the second part of world. 
The second part of world, and I'm going to read a definition because it's, it's good for me not to get into a heretical state this early in the talk. <laughs> the second definition of the world from Scripture is the system of ideas, values, relationships, etc. So the system of ideas, values, relationships, etc., which are opposed to God and his ways. Human society that is close to God and not following his plan. It's under the power of the evil one, which is what it says in 1 John 5, I believe, verse 19. Know your Bible, too. Quick aside. Just as an aside. Know your Bible. I don't know why I need to go there now, because I don't, but know it. <laughs> Let me be clear. The world in this context is the enemy. It's the enemy. Okay? It's not good. I don't care how much fun you had partying in college. I had fun, too. It's not good. Fun and good are not equatable. Okay? It's not good. It's not good. I had fun messing around. Fun and fulfillment are not equatable sometimes. Okay? You guys picking up? Can I get some head nods? Or was I the only one? No, got some head nods? Good. See, we are of God in the world, but not of it. You've heard that before. We're supposed to be in the world, but not of it. It is the world, again, not meaning creation as a whole, but the world is just defined in that second part, the, 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 the system that tends away from God, which scripture tells us not to love. That's in 1 John chapter 2. In fact, again, John, just being as blunt as he is, in John chapter 12, verse 25, he says that we should hate it. We should hate it. I should hate my life, he goes so far as to say. Why? Because my life tends towards the ways of the world. Why? Because I'm in a fallen world. Have you ever noticed the people that you hang out with, you become a lot alike? We hang out in the world every day. You want to know what we become like over time? The world. That's the exterior. That's the challenge. Now here, I want, I want to be very clear here. Like to clarify, this does not mean that we're called to hate people at all. Quite the opposite. We're called to hate the system, not the people in it. I can hate a totalitarian regime without hating the totalitarian dictator. Did you know that? I can hate looting without hating looters. Did you know that? I can hate abortion without hating abortionists. Because I know who they've been made to be. What is now is not how it has to be. Freedom isn't what I want now, it's what I ought. Does that make sense? JP2 defines that. The freedom is not the ability to do whatever the hell you want. He doesn't say hell, but it's the ability to do what you ought. The ability to do what you ought. And we should all have that. Jesus hates sin, but he does not hate sinners. He dines with them. He hates sin. Hates sin. Think about your favorite movie and the most hated villain. He hates sin, sin way more than that. But he dines with those who find themselves in it. The world twists things and distorts things, namely three things. First, relationships. Second, purpose. And third, values. The world, it, it distorts relationships because our personal relationships, they become contrary to the patterns that we see in the kingdom of God. In the kingdom of God, relationships are all about giving. I won't get overly theological with you, but the Trinity, they give to each other for all of eternity. The only reason in which they receive is because the others are giving perfectly for all of eternity. The relationship as at the beginning, which was the relationship of God, the relationship that is in fact love, was all give oriented. The reception came from the fact that the others were giving perfectly. Does that make sense? It's about giving, not about receiving. And the world twists that. It's all about what you can get, not what you can give. It twists that relationship. 
Worldly relationships are often warped by competition, mistrust, resentment, manipulation. Romantic relationships are use-based, relying solely on fleeting pleasures and momentary satisfaction. How long would you stay in the Christian walk if it was fleeting pleasure and momentary satisfaction? Not very long. I wonder why there's divorces happening in the world. Because I wouldn't sit with Jesus every day if it was just about momentary satisfaction because most days I don't get that satisfaction. Most days I'm wrestling with something. I'm like, why is this still coming up? Why am I still tempted to lie here? Why am I not honest? Why am I not vulnerable? Why do I still feel like I have to perform? Why do I still feel like I have to compete against this guy? Why do I have to make sure everyone knows I'm competent? Why? Do you see that? That like when when we twist relationship and make it about getting, you're never going to get enough. But if we make it about giving, you're never going to give enough. And praise God for that because the more you empty yourself, the more he'll take up residence in you. Did you know that the goal of the Christian life isn't to just be like Jesus, it's to be him for the sake of the world? Have you ever heard the priest, whenever he's taking the water and putting it into the wine, he goes, he puts the water and he says, by the mingling of this water and wine, may we come to share in Christ's divinity who humbled himself to share in our humanity. You're made to be great. And I'm so sick of talking to groups of guys that are okay with okay. You're made to be great. And if you're not great, someone else will fall off. You're in a battle. The person next to you will get shot in the trenches. I got to get back to the outline. Second is purpose. The world distorts purpose. The world sees the human as an individual, an independent and self-sovereign unit with no goal except the gain of self-actualization and unrestrained freedom to get whatever he wants or her. He or her, whatever they want. He or she, whatever. In the world, we need to be wary of certain isms. I'm I'm a nerd, okay? So you're going to get some nerdy stuff. Um, Behaviorism is a huge trend in psychology right now. Behaviorism tends to view human beings as machines to be programmed and redesigned for greater efficiency. How often as men do we fall in that? We're only as good as what we put out. We're only as good as the output from the end of the day. Have you ever thought about that? Like my wife, when I come home at night, she asks me how my day went and is almost always tied exactly to how productive I was. How shitty is that? How bad is that? (laughs) It's a bad metric. It's the wrong metric. It's the wrong metric. In the world, and and again, like in the world, we see that behavior, in behaviorism, we see relativism, which disconnects us from purpose. It disconnects truth from purpose. Therefore, there is no purpose. Because if there's infinite purpose, there is none. If there's infinite truth, then there is, in fact, none. It distorts purpose. (coughs) Third is values. It distorts values. Again, we want to be wary of the isms. Materialism exalts money and possessions. Hedonism exalts pleasure. Postmodernism exalts skepticism and power. Isn't it so funny... Isn't it so funny that skepticism is seen as intelligence in the university, but hope and optimism is seen as ignorance? How many times have you been given an assignment and your only goal in the entire assignment is to write a paper that disproves someone else? Did you know you're not smart by pointing out problems? You're smart by finding solutions. I could come into this lodge and say everything that's wrong with it, but if I don't know how to fix it, I'm no more, like, I'm no more intelligent than anyone else. But we've made this whole university system on, wonder how many problems we can point out. So how many freaking solutions can you bring? Zero? 
well then let's not talk about problems until you fix your interior life. Let's like put your house in order before we fix the world. How's that? How about you make your bed before you go fix society? How about you actually go and love your wife before you tell me how a country should be ran? Like what if we actually focused on first things first? It distorts values on both sides of any given aisle, on both sides of any given topic. It distorts values. So where do we find the world? The world exists right next to the kingdom of God. The best analogy I have for you, it would be like looking at a tree and one side is sunlit and the other side is shaded, okay? The shaded part is the kingdom of darkness, the world. The lit part, that is the kingdom of God, okay? Is, are you following me with that analogy? I'm gonna bring in that analogy, I think, at least one more time. We'll see where my speaker notes go, but um, yeah, here it is. So to, to detect the world's influence on one's life, the Christian must be able to discern the presence of worldly values, ideas, and relationships. That's the shade. So like, understand that sometimes that's gonna be really clear. Sometimes it's not gonna be clear. Like in staying with the analogy, if we can, like when we're outside of the shade, it's easy to see the shade. But when I'm in the shade, it's hard to tell if I'm in shade. Similar, you've heard the analogy of fish in water, right? Like when I'm surrounded by the shade, it's hard to know if I'm in shade or not, okay? Because I'm looking at shade, I'm living in shade. So sometimes it's a little more complicated. When I'm in the light, it's a little easier. So there's some things in your life that you're in the light in. Maybe it's some things that are different than the light that I find myself in. And, and that's why it's important to have brotherhood is because you're in the light over there and you're like, hey, Brad, you're in the freaking shade again. I need more, more brothers that are justice than mercy. Because I have a God that's merciful. I have a wife that's merciful. I need brothers that are just. And then hold me accountable to the things I actually want to do with my life instead of letting me just be a bum like every other dude in the world. I'll give you two examples here of figuring out worldly values, ideas, and relationships in like that, that shade region. Example number one is working for a corporation. So I, I've been fortunate enough to work for some law firms in my time. I worked for the Big Ten Network. The values of the world are present in all of those, ambition, profit, etc. right? And so often we hold those as high values. But you see, we have the wrong value. Like those things are only good insofar as they come to the end that is fulfillment and bringing the kingdom of God. That is, that is their purpose. The profit that I get in my life is for the kingdom of God. Yes, is my family part of the kingdom of God? Of course. Is my community part of the kingdom of God? Of course. Is my parish? Of course. But it's not for me. Like, because I'm not going to earn being worth it. No profit is ever going to make me go, you know what, good job, Brad. But there is a profit that could lead to fulfillment where I say I'm providing for the ones I'm supposed to provide for and I'm laying down my life. Do you see how the distortion of value happens there? That's in the corporation and we need to be careful to see how the world's influence is at work here. Like sure, can we let it motivate us? I guess. But insofar as the end is the right end. You know that they call Jesus the wonder counselor. I love that term for him. Because in the world, wonder is looked at as aimless. You know who the only person who can counsel your wonder is? Jesus. He's the only one that gives your wonder a name. Have you ever sat and wondered what greatness looks like? What you're supposed to do with your life? That wonder is aimless if you don't have the person of Jesus to point you to what the end actually is. It's a miserable existence. And gosh, we just, I don't even freaking know. We fill it with pornography and alcohol and drugs and I'm about to break a music stand. I'm getting so amped up. Example number two, you just stay stand. The university is an exa another example. So you have the corporation, then you have the university, and you guys are in that. I just, a minute ago, went on a tangent that told you a little bit about what I'm already going to say. 
But like, the university often has presuppositions that we have our fate in our own hands. We rule our life. Right? You can do whatever you want with your life. How, how about I do whatever I ought with my life? How about I stop caring about what I want and I start caring about what I need? That'd be a good start for us as men. Let's start with what we need and let's go, let God provide the wants. Because I promise you, when you focus on the need, he'll fill in the wants. But if you focus on the want, you'll never know what you need. And then you'll find yourself lost and you'll have to be saved. And sure, Jesus wants to come in as a savior. But I'd much rather have him as an advocate. I don't want to be saved all the time. I want to be helped. I want to be assisted. I want to be living as him here. Because it's not about just like fumbling my way into purgatory. It's about bringing the kingdom of God here now so people can taste and see the goodness of God. It doesn't say come and learn. It says taste and see. Taste is experience. Sight is perception. When I experience him differently, I perceive him differently. When I experience you differently, I should perceive you differently. When you experience me differently, you should perceive me differently. It's taste and see, and it's experiential. John chapter 8, verse 32, Jesus says, they will know the truth, and the truth will set them free. That word know in the Greek is gnosko. Gnosko is not a head knowledge. Gnosko is an experiential knowledge. If you translate it into the Hebrew, it's the same word that's used in the Old Testament to say a man knew his wife. Do I know Nina up here? No, I know her experientially. And praise God for that. I know her at a vulnerable level where she knows everything about me and she could humiliate me at any given time, but I trust her with it. That's vulnerability. That's nakedness without shame. That's how we were made to be, as it says in Genesis 2. Okay? That's, guys, we gotta freaking get this. The questions to ask to, what, to whether or not I'm in the kingdom or in the world in a given moment, is Jesus being honored here? By, by my actions, by my words, by these people's actions and words, is he being honored? That's a good test. That's, that's how you know if you're in the sunlight or the shade. Again, it doesn't make one worse than the other. It, I just need to know. I need to know if I'm in the shade or the sunlight because I approach that differently. When I'm in the sunlight and I know I'm in the kingdom, I keep going further into it. When I recognize that I'm in the shade, I look at how I can get the people out of the shade into the sunlight. It's just a different strategy. See, we're preparing to execute so we can be victorious. Do you guys see this? Yes or yes? Can I get some head nods? You falling asleep on me? Let's, let's, like, let's go right back into this, okay? There's a lot of content here, but I promise the best is yet to come, okay? Dope. The world blinds us, twists us. We already know that. We need to be realistic. If we are to overcome the sin, the sin, distortion, and the twistedness of our lives, we need to place ourselves in the right environment. That's why the exterior solution to the exterior problem of the world is Jesus Christ in and through Christian community. Write that down. Jesus Christ is the only solution, and he's found in and through Christian community, which directly goes against the world. Why? Because Christian community, it saves us from the things of the world. We, we, like, and and let, me, let me be clear. When I'm saying a Christian community, I don't mean getting together with a bunch of like-minded individuals that just pat each other on the butt and tell you how good you're doing. I'm talking about a, 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 like a group of people that get together and they hold themselves accountable to a bar that is almost unreachable. I am sick of doing things in my life that are hard because I can do hard things. I want to do things in my life that are impossible because the only one that can overcome impossibility is Jesus. You're going to think you can do it if you just do hard things your whole life. Step into the impossible and see what happens. Because if he doesn't show up, it's not going to turn out well. Yeah. And you'll have to stop relying on you. Does that make sense? Like this is, that's why this is the solution. And now guys, like I want to get, I want to get real with you about community. I want to get really real about community.
is your community is about like you finding a seat where a bunch of people actually like accept you, that's a great first step. But if you stay there for your whole life, your community sucks. Community is for a purpose. Everything's for a purpose. Community's not the end. In heaven, I don't care who's like surrounding me because I'm so transfixed on the lamb. Community's about pointing me to the one. I hope to God I'm rejoicing with all of you for eternity. That's not what I'm saying. I need to be missional here. But once I get to the other side of eternity, my eyes are going to be so on him, I can't even be like having eyes on my wife. It's the complete button. Everything's done. It's unto the lamb forever. Gosh, I can't wait. Because I taste him now. I know him. And do you know him? If you don't know him, none of this matters. If you don't know Jesus... If, if, you don't, if he's not real, you're wasting your time this weekend. If he's not real, then stop. But if he is, then this is all that matters. Everything else that you do, it doesn't freaking matter. If he's real. If he's not, then you're wasting your time anyway. Let's just go do something else. But if he's real, this matters. If he's real, Christian community matters. If he's real, that's what we're supposed to be to one another. A Christian community lives out the ways of Jesus and the ways of the faith. This is why it's so important to do the things that we do in formation. We need to focus on the complicated topics of life through a Christian lens. We need to commit to living radically. If we simply live like everyone else in the world, we're wasting our freaking time. We're wasting our time. And guys, as I was praying, like, I know I'm like speaking strongly and like, like we got to get this. We have to get it. When I got this, my life changed, and I'm still working on getting it more. Because when you get a taste of your life changing, you're like, I want more. I want to look more like him. Becoming like Jesus, there's no greater thrill. St. Augustine said something cool about that. (laughs) Read it. I don't know. It's like to pursue him is the greatest advantage. I don't know. There's something. Augustine's baller. Okay, he's smarter than me and you. And so is Aquinas, for the record. Stop it, Stan. All right. Just hang out, bud. Christian community properly lived out makes us different. It brings the faith alive. It gives it substance. It makes the way of God more appealing to the one who knows Jesus than the ways of the world. And it counteracts the influence of the world. The community of men and women wholly devoted to Christ and to one another releases God's power to change people's lives in a real way. It brings about real authentic love. It brings us to resist and to correct the influence of the world. A non-Christian or someone immersed in the world should see what we're doing and say, that's different. And they should have one of two responses. That's weird or wow, that's awesome. And not even know the word for it. We should put a, like, community should draw a line in the sand. When I walk somewhere, I'm drawing a line in the sand. I have taken my position. My colors are clear. This is the side that I'm on. And I want everyone on it because it's the right side. Not because I said so, but because the one who died for me did. The one who took my place, pierced himself to a tree. The one who rose. The one who ascended. The one who said, my Holy Spirit will come to make you like me. For 2,000 years, Holy Spirit's been making people that look like Jesus. They're called saints. And if you want to do anything with your life, that's, that's the thing. I don't care how much money you make. I've met billionaires that are miserable. I've met the most successful people and some of, like, some of my friendships I'm going to keep to me in the friendship. They're more successful than I'm ever going to be in my life. They struggle with the same things you and I struggle with. Why? 
because it's not the end. None of it is. The right end is becoming like him and making the ones around us like him. That's Christian community. If you're not becoming more like Jesus in the community you're in, get the heck out and find a different community. If I'm serious too. I'm serious. If you're in a small group and you're not becoming more like him, either shake up the small group or get out of it. I'm so serious, guys. I want you to live a life that's rich. Guys, I've, I've followed the ways of the world. Gosh, my name's been known by people a time or two. And it's just not worth it. It just doesn't matter. It just it doesn't matter. What matters is becoming like him. Christian community, it counteracts the world. It's an environment in which we can change, when we can be transformed. Pope Francis says in Evangeligatium, in the purpose of community is mission. Why is that true? Because the purpose of community is getting everyone to heaven, okay? So everybody's mission looks different. Your mission in your life is going to look different than mine. How we can hold each other accountable to that? Find me if you have an answer to that. But like, it's going to look different. But the purpose of coming together as community is to, is to witness what heaven looks like, which in and of itself is mission. Does that make sense? Like, look how attractive this is. Look how different this is. You know, I was listening to 104.9 The River, a mom radio station. Anybody like mom radio stations? I do. Anyway, if you don't like it, that's fine, um, but I do. And so uh, Mitch works for the mom radio station. And, um, and so I, I was listening one day, and a song came on, and the song is called Different, okay? And I got freaking rocked. Like, Holy Spirit, like, I, the Holy Spirit was so present that I had to pull off the side of the road, okay? Like, because the song, the first time I played, it said, I want to be different. I want to be changed until all of me is gone and all that remains is a fire so bright that the whole world can see that there's something different. So why don't you come and be different in me? I want to be freaking different. Just, it's fine. I want to be different. I want to be different. I want to be changed. And that's what Christian community does. Hey, buddy, we're going to put you right here. How's that? I have some helpful scriptures that I can give you later on the, on the world. That's the exterior problem and the exterior solution. Now let's get to the interior. The interior matters more than the exterior. Why? Because did you know that the exterior can't defile you? It's only the interior that can defile you. What if our church knew this? You know those wounds you carry? Those won't damn you to hell? You know that person that hurt you? That doesn't defile you? Those, those rubs and scrapes and cuts you've picked up over time, those don't defile you. What defiles you is the way in which you respond to that. The actions that you have that are sometimes products of that, mentally, soulfully. But that's, it's important to know that, guys. Like, the world and the flesh work in tandem. Okay, if the world is, the analogy I have here is good. If, if the world distracts, the flesh acts. Okay, if the world's the decoy, the flesh is the assailant. Are you picking up what I'm putting down here? The world is only there to distract. It actually can't do anything to you. The only thing that can do something to you is the flesh. But if you allow it to distract you long enough, the flesh will consume you. This is the issue in our whole culture today, is it's everyone else's fault. If you guys go away with a hard weekend, it's SPO's fault. 
If you come and you serve in a summer, like in a real hard way at Catholic Youth Summer Camp, and you go home and something changes, it's Damascus' fault. It's the church's fault that they teach this teaching that's hard to follow. No, no. Like, sure, are any of us perfect? No. St. Paul's outreach, not perfect. Damascus, less than perfect. Less than St. Paul's outreach's approach to perfect. Like, we're, we're not perfect. That's not the point. The point is, none of that can defile you. It's only what's inside. Do you know that Jesus flipped tables? He didn't whisper behind closed doors. <laughs> Jesus went right up like a man to Pharisees and Sadducees and told them what he thought. He didn't hide behind closed doors and say, you know, I wish they would take care of me a little bit better. He didn't. That's the world distracting you and the flesh consuming you. That's what that is. Gossip is so not of God. Oh my goodness, I'm, I, that's an offshoot that I can't go into. He didn't whisper behind closed doors. He flipped freaking tables. If you have an issue, come to me and flip a table and let's talk. Let's be men. Let's stop being pansies, okay? Let's start owning up to what we actually think and what we actually say and stop trying to get away with it. You know, that's the issue with abortion and all this other thing. We can get away with a lot of things, can't we? We don't have to take responsibility as men. We can just like, hey, I'll throw a condom on. It's an issue. You see, the flesh, I'm just going to hold this. Like, I think a lot of times what, what hinders us in the flesh is we go about it through the law fulfillment approach. And it just doesn't work anymore. Here's what I mean by that. This approach emphasizing hearing the commandments, understanding them, deciding to do them, and exerting our willpower to fulfill them. That doesn't work. Because you're not strong enough. Spoiler alert. And if you haven't lifted something so heavy that you've failed, lift something heavier. Okay? If you're pretty comfortable with the weight that you have on the bar, throw an extra 45 on each side and struggle a little bit. Picking yourself up by your bootstraps is literally impossible. That's the point of the saying. Okay? It's literally impossible, so stop trying to do it. Like, stop. Because it, it's it literally impossible. Just sometime, try to pull up your whole weight by your bootstraps. Just see how it works for you. It's literally impossible. That's why they say it. Anyway, like, what do we do? Yeah, it's stupid. You cannot will your way to virtue. You can't. You cannot will your way to sainthood. You can only yield your way there. You can only yield your way to heaven and to sainthood. You can't earn it. You can't deserve it. You can't grasp it. I don't know. Give me some other verbs. I'm running out of verbs. Yeah, can't take it, can't, yeah, like, yeah, it's, it's only through yielding, only through surrender, only, only through laying down my life for his that I can attain it. Paul argues that the law, although good in and of itself, only arouses in us perverse desires if seen merely through the lens of performance, okay? So when I look at the law and I'm like, I have to perform to do that, then it only actually plays against me. Here's what Paul says. He says in, in Romans 7, he says, What then shall we say, that the law is sin? By no means. Yet if I had not, I'm sorry, yet if it had not been for the law, I should not have known sin. I should not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said you shall not covet. Does this make sense? He's in performance. He's like, I shouldn't covet, so I'm not going to covet. But wait, now I'm coveting, not coveting. Because he's trying to do it on his own strength. He's seeing and he's trying to do law fulfillment. 
Okay? Now, it's important, guys. This is why you got to read your Bible. Don't stop at Romans 7. I am so sick of Christian people coming up to me and they're like, you know what? I'm a lot like Paul. I just do what I don't want to do. Nope, that's in Romans 7, and he's literally recounting the past. And then in Romans 8, he says his present condition. And I'll talk to you about it. I mean, it's not me saying this. Paul is telling the Romans, he's like, yeah, that's how it used to be, and then Jesus came into my life. And then here's Romans 8, and I'll read Romans 8. And you can, you can get mad about that, but talk to Paul. But sin, finding opportunity in the commandment, wrought in me all kinds of covetousness. Apart from the law, sin lies dead. I don't even think about it because I was so in performance. You guys picking this up? I'm wanting to perform. I'm wanting to grasp. I'm wanting to do good. All these things that if you're anything like me in my life, I got rewarded for. <laughs> Man, I want, I want to get all state in the three sports that I play. Okay, I did it. That must mean I'm good. Little did I know that wouldn't fulfill. What if I get straight A's? Then, I, Well, that didn't fulfill either. Oh, what about a job as a lobbyist? Oh, yeah, I didn't even end up accepting that. Oh, yeah, but what about Big Ten Network? Everybody will hear my voice. They'll think I'm smarter than I am about sports. My opinions, I can just state matter-of-factly when they're actually probably equally as stupid as everyone else's. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin re- revived and I died. The very commandment which promised life proceeded to bring death to me. For sin, finding opportunity in the commandment, deceived me, and by it killed me. This is in Romans 7. This is what happens to guys in the church all the time. I'm in this pornography thing, and I want to get out of it, but I think about it so much that I fall into it again. Then get rid of it. Stop thinking about it. It's harder than it, it's harder than it, it's harder than it, it like presents itself as, is what I'm trying to say. Because when you're trying to perform out of it, you'll never perform well enough to get out of it. It's only by surrendering to the lordship of Jesus. I was introduced to pornography when I was seven years old. Last three years, it hasn't been a part of my life. I struggled so mightily with it in the early part of my conversion. Then all of a sudden, I was like, Jesus, I, I can't. I literally can't. Jesus, take what is yours. Like, my heart's yours. I don't want this. I'm so freaking tired of it telling me what to do. I'm going to tell it to shove it. And the only way I can do that is by your grace. Only if you live in me, because you're not tempted by pornography. So when you live more in me, I won't be tempted, because it's you, not me. Brad was crucified and resurrected in him as Christ. To live is Christ, to die is gain. That's a reality here and forever. Please hear what I'm saying, though, okay? Romans 7 is not where it ends, okay? So you can't just be like, you know what? Yeah, I always knew it. I'm just going to struggle forever. No, you're not. That's not how you were made to be. You were not made to say the same sins in the confessional for the next 50 years of your life. You weren't. You, act, you legitimately were not. Did you know that your nature is saint and your tendency is sinner? Look it up. And tell me which one's stronger, nature or tendency? Nature. Your tendency is away from your original nature, which is that of a saint. Let's get saintly, right? And it's only him who can create a saint in me. It's not me. I can't earn it. I can't, like, I prayed six rosaries today, Brad, and still fell. Well, yeah, because that's all performance. So you were performing for God and then performing for the evil one and performing for God. Like, no wonder. We're on the performance ride. The law fulfillment approach does not work because sin has a certain power over us so long as we refrain from certain graces that Jesus longs to give. Paul goes on, We know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. I do not understand my own actions, for I do what I do not want to do. I do the very thing I hate. This is him speaking in the past. Okay? 
Last thing I want is another guy coming up to me like, I'm a lot like Paul. I do the things I hate. Nope. You're like Paul before conversion, which congratulations, we all fall on that sometimes. But let's get like Paul after conversion. How's that sound? I don't even need to read the rest of it. Only God's grace, it's Romans 7. You guys can. Only God's grace can overcome the flesh. Paul experiences this in Romans 8. In Romans 7, he recounts, he remembers his battle. In Romans 8, he professes his freedom. He is no longer actively living in Romans 7. He's living a Romans 8 reality. May we live Romans 8 reality. Here's what it says. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has freed you from the law of sin and death. Come on. Come on. Yeah, it has. For what the law, weakened by the flesh, was powerless to do, this God has done by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for the sake of sin, he condemned sin in the flesh so that the righteous decree of the law might be fulfilled in us who live not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. When you live in the spirit, you overcome the things of the flesh. I promise, that's, like, it's not me saying this. This is the greatest apostle of all time, Paul. Stop trying to perform out of it. Figure out how you can yield to it. Find a brother next to you that can hold you accountable. We'll talk about the practical realities when we get to the solution. But this is the interior problem. The interior problem is that we have a problem, that we're tending towards it, and that we try to overcome it by adding more fuel to the fire of the problem. It's yielding, not earning, that gets me out of sin tendencies. It's conversion. It's Jesus. That's actually the answer. Our flesh works against us. Like the term, the world, flesh can mean several things in the Bible. But all of them are considered as an obstacle to Christian living. It refers to the desires and tendencies within us that lead us to disobey God. It is unredeemed human nature, eh? Even for us who have experienced new life in Christ to a certain extent. But when we live under accord with the Spirit, we can let go of the things of the past, right? We can live Romans 8 instead of Romans 7. It's the old nature, like literally the old human being. You've heard that. The old has passed away and behold, new things have come. 2 Corinthians 5.17. Like that, that's the reality. Like the old things are dying the new things are come. May this weekend be the mark of that, right? August 3rd, 2014, that's when things started to die that were old and new things took up residence. And in my journal, I have often like days, like here's where a new thing happened and a new thing happened and the old things don't come back. You know, when we look at the past and we see it in the light of what it was. So there was some sexual abuse in my past. We don't have to get into that because I'm not held down by it. But when I was seven years old, there was a little bit of that. And when I think back to that though, I no longer see it in the same light that it was in when I was there because it's been washed over by the blood of Jesus, right? So the, like, like, the person who inflicted that upon me has been redeemed. I've been redeemed. It's no longer in the same state. We open ourselves to a spirit of deception when we look back at the past and look at it in the same light that it was when we were experiencing it. It's not in that light anymore. It's been redeemed. And I believe that. And that's how healing happens, is I no longer have to blame it because it no longer happened. It's been washed over, redeemed. Redeemed literally means to speak again. You've heard it said, like, let me deem this, right? So what happened is God deemed this very good. Then we deemed that it wasn't enough. And then he redeemed that, no, it's in fact good. Okay? And he wants to redeem you. He wants to redeem me. He wants to convert us every day. Like up in this loft. He wants to convert everybody in this hotel. Like, he, like, like Devin, who's helping us out. Like he wants it for all of us. Like that's what he wants. And let, it, let me not be ashamed for the gospel. For it is the power unto salvation for all who believe. Romans 1, 15 or 16. 
Like, that's, that's it, guys. I got to get back to the outline. I'm sorry. We do not equate the flesh with our body, our emotions, or sexual desires. While these can often be disordered and lead us to unrighteous behavior, these are not evil and problematic in themselves. Let me throw this at you. Our body, our emotions, our sexual desires should be seen as conversation starters, not decision makers. Okay, I'm going to say that again. Our body, our emotions, our sexual desires should be seen as conversation starters, not decision makers. Why am I fatigued right now? Why am I pissed right now? Why am I aroused right now? Like, we can get to actual conversation. Like, I have to have this conversation with my wife. It's like, hey, at this time of the month, we're actually, we're not being intimate. So I actually have to ask myself, why am I aroused right now? I'm not lusting after her. Like, these are real questions. And if we can stop making everything taboo and letting the world own these topics, we can actually have real conversations. Those, those, those experiences are not bad. They're only bad if you allow them to be decision makers and not conversation starters. Conversation starters with yourself, with your spouse, with your order, whatever. Like, that should be the conversation. It's like, wow. Like, Nina and I just had a conversation on our way up here. It's like, hey, I noticed, I was just telling her, I was like, I noticed that you got frustrated with me when I, I did this. And we went into it. Not because you're bad, not because I'm bad. We're, neither of us are failing. What, what pulled? What, what, what pulled? What pulled in you? It's a conversation starter. I didn't make a decision saying, oh, well, now, now of course, because you always think I'm wrong. Like, no, that's stupid. It's not a decision maker. It's a conversation starter. Quick analogy, it's called the fifth column within. So I'm a history nerd. Spanish Civil War, okay, 1936 through 1939. There were four different pillars of assaults on the, we'll just, we won't go into too much context, onto the Spanish, okay? But actually what defiled the Spanish weren't the four attacks from the exterior. It was the infiltrators from inside. That's what lost the war. That's why the saints can be whipped, beheaded, neutered. It doesn't matter. Because none of that can defile. It's only what my response to that is that matters. You see this? But this is an interior battle, my friends. For me, for you. And here's the thing, we must be honest with ourselves. We have to be honest about ourselves. Lying to ourselves makes us both the deceiver and the deceived. That sucks. We have to live with the guilt and consequences of both sides. That's a bad move. (laughs) If you struggle with pornography, saying that taking your phone to the bathroom is okay for you is not honest. If you struggle with gluttony, saying that keeping a bevy of snacks in your room is okay for you is not honest. We forget about gluttony, don't we? I found myself in a pattern about a year ago. I would stop at McDonald's and Wendy's whenever I'd want. I no longer stop ever. I have to learn temperance. That's gluttony. That is, <laughs> we're all struggling with something, guys. If you struggle with sloth, saying that you are oversleeping your alarm because of sickness is not honest. Hey, sorry, I was just sick again. Really? Or were you lazy as hell? Because I love you even if you were lazy. But I can't be in this fight with you if you're going to lie to me. I have ulcerative colitis. It messes with my stomach. But here's the thing we can't do, gentlemen. I can't go to Damascus one day and have a bad attitude and say, oh, it's just because my stomach is aching. Why? Because I'm opening the door to deception and I'll blur the lines of truth. We can't run if you're not truthful with me. I love the ugliest parts of you. 
but I can't love them if you don't show them to me. Me holding you accountable is not me not loving you. It's me loving you into greatness, which is what you were made for in the first place. Hey, I'm late to morning prayer again. Yeah, that sickness is just staying with me. Really? You just slept past your alarm. Let's be honest and let's just get to worship. Let's stop making excuses. We are freed from the hold of the flesh through the spirit that lives within us. That's what Romans 8 says. Read Romans 8. If you don't know Romans 8, memorize it. Seriously, go a verse at a time. It is the Christian walk. I think it's one of the greatest layouts of the kerygma. The kerygma being the the passion, death, resurrection of Jesus and and the byproduct thereof, which is freedom and salvation for us, which should be good news and not okay news. Did you know that the only thing we deserve, brothers, is non-existence? <laughs> Death is even a mercy. How grateful would you be for your life if you thought that everything past the point of non-existence was a gift? <laughs> Probably pretty grateful. Not so complaint-oriented like me sometimes. God have mercy. God will change us if we let him. Our victory and the assurance of that victory comes from Christ's death and resurrection. We must not be intimidated by the persistence of the flesh, but cooperate with the Holy Spirit's transforming work. The interior solution is Jesus through the Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. Pray that with me. Come Holy Spirit. Out loud like you mean it. Come Holy Spirit. Say it like they can hear it everywhere in this place. Come Holy Spirit. Because we need him. Gosh, we need him, guys. We need him. That's the solution, guys. Like, literally, like, let's pray a prayer like this. What would it look like if you were just like, one day you're like, you know what, Jesus, I give you my sexual desires. I know that they're good in your eyes, but I'm sick of the way they're being twisted, God. Break pornography off my life right now in Jesus' name. Lord, do it. Do it because I'm hungry for you and I'm missing you through this sin. I really need you, God. And then do the freaking practical. It's supernatural and natural. Get rid of your smartphone. Get covenant eyes. Find accountability partners that are more justice than mercy. I don't care what you have to do. What's heaven worth? What is heaven worth? What is it worth? Is it worth being weird and having a flip phone? Is it worth having an accountability buddy that has to beat you over the head all the freaking time? Like, I don't know what it's worth, but it's worth a hell of a lot to me. And I hope it's worth that to you. Like, that's what we got to get. Like, we've made heaven boring. I was telling you that at the beginning. We're bringing it back around, right? We're almost to the end here. I know that you guys have been sitting on the edge of your seat. You're like, he's saying a lot of things. Like, what's heaven worth? Like, what is it worth? Does it matter? If it doesn't, please leave. Don't waste your time with this retreat. If it doesn't matter, don't. Go do something else. Whatever you do, put your whole heart in it. C.S. Lewis says that Christianity is either everything or nothing. The only thing it can't be is in between. I lived my whole life with it as an in-between. Maybe you have too. Stupid idea. Because then you're literally not living for anything. That would be what we call recipe for failure. If you're going to do something, do it. If you want to be in this fight, let's do it. If you want to win the battle, let's do it. There's an exterior force against you. That's the world. The exterior solution is Christian community and the Jesus that you find in that. Why do I love things like this? I can't wait to hang out tonight with you guys. Each of you are a unique, specific, and unrepeatable image of Jesus Christ to the Father. When God created you, he put a part of Jesus in you that I don't have, that no one else over the course of human history has. And I want to know that part of Jesus because I want to develop that part in me. 
Because if we're not trying to be like him, we're only going to be like the other one. The evil one, the deceiver, we're only going to be like the world and the flesh and we're going to go back to dust, never to be risen back to glory. And I want to go to dust and rise on the last day. That's what I want. That's what I want. I can't wait to see my body in its resurrected state. I can't wait to rejoice with you guys. I can't wait to hang out with you guys tonight. We have an exterior force against us, the world. We have a solution exteriorly, which is Christian community and the Jesus that we find in it. We have an interior battle going on, and that's the battle of the flesh. And we have an interior solution, and that interior solution is surrender to the Holy Spirit and absolute hunger for Jesus. That is the solution. It, I, pr- I promise you, there are supernatural and natural aspects to that. Whatever you struggle with, figure out the supernatural and natural. Like, we have to be honest with Jesus. Jesus doesn't want to just hear that your day's good. (laughs) Sit down in prayer. Hey, things are pretty good, Jesus. Oh, really? Because I know everything in your life, and it's not good, and so you don't have to lie to me. And by the way, you're now the only one that's deceived and the deceiver, and I'm still in truth, so I'll just wait for you to be honest. Let's pray. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. Jesus, we love you. Open your hands like you're receiving a gift. Just, Just a show an openness, a docility. It's not so we look holy. It's not so, it's, it's because we have to use, we're body, mind, and soul. And so when we do something with our body, it speaks to our mind and our soul. And I just want you guys to be open. Jesus, I just pray that everything that was spoken today that was of you would resonate with the hearts of these brothers and remain with them forever. Anything that was of me, I pray it blows away like the wind. And God, all we want to remain is you. Holy Spirit, transform us from the inside out. We want to be different. We want to be changed. We want none of us to remain. We want only you to remain. We want to bring the kingdom of God here. God, we don't care about the world and the flesh as much as we care about you. And we know when we focus on you, you'll do away with those. And we want more of you today. And Holy Spirit, I just pray for a fresh touch upon every brother's heart that's open right now. I pray that you would just bless them, God, that you would make them more of who they're made to be, that you would bless me, God, and that you would make me more who I'm made to be, that you would bless St. Paul's outreach and the mission on Ohio State, Ohio Dominican, and the University of Cincinnati's campuses. I pray that you would blow up those campuses. I pray that you would blow them up and like in a, in a beautiful way, God, with your grace and your mercy, and only you can do it. It's not about us. It's about you. Jesus, we love you. We praise you. Thank you for this time together. And all the gentlemen said, amen. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen.